Uh, well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Preston. I'm one of the pastors here at St. Peter's, and I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, will you pray with me as we jump into the scripture? Living God, we come to you today, and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gospel of Luke and for the gift of this story of you, Jesus, uh, working in power and showing your kingdom. So we pray, Lord God, that you will come this day, this moment, and to uh, all, all those who are hearing, whether it's right now or later in the week, and you will reveal your kingdom. You will make yourself known that we'll, we will be marveled at your be beauty by entering into your uh, beautiful story once again. We pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today, uh, the story Gogo has just read for us is, in my opinion, in Luke chapter 5, a classic gospel story. It's classic Jesus, isn't it? It's got everything, a crowd, expectation, suspense, there's surprise, there's restoration, there's worship, there's conflict with the scribes. And right in the middle, there's Jesus and a lame man, an outcast. This lame man had a disability. He couldn't walk, and his disability would have marked him as unclean, so physically and socially, on the outside. Jesus and the lame man, right in the middle of this classic scene. So today, we're going to enter into this story once again and get familiar with it and get to know some of the characters. See what it's like together in this hot, crowded Galilean home. And see what this story just might reveal to us about life, faith, and God. Well, this moment in Jesus' earthly ministry comes to us in, Ga in Galilee, in the region of Galilee, during a time when he was traveling about, and this is his home region, uh, ministering. Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons. And at every point, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. That's what his ministry was all about, the mighty acts, uh, the moments of his teaching. They're all moments of God's power breaking in and giving glimpses of what it looks like when Jesus is king. This is what Luke tells us over and over again. Now, in this little story, Mark has told us that it's happening in a town called Capernaum. It's a spot Jesus likes to go to often. And in Luke, it marks the beginning of a new plot line. It's the plot line of tension between Jesus and the scribes, the teachers of the law, who he's often butting heads with for the rest of the story. It turns out that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens that Jesus is proclaiming, didn't quite line up with the proper religion of the day. And we'll see all of that in this passage. So let's pause and enter into it together. We'll read the first a couple verses first. Chapter 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
Now, ever since that Sabbath day back in Nazareth, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, when Jesus stood up and picked up the Isaiah scroll and read out and proclaimed not so subtly that he was God's anointed Messiah, do you remember that day? Then right after he, he does this, the people run him out of town and try to throw him off of a cliff. They're so angry because of his blasphemy and because he also calls them out for being opposed to God's plan by rejecting him. Well, ever since that day, when Jesus started his ministry, he's been busy. Chapter 4, verse 40, tells us what he's been up to. It says this, All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He's been traveling around and healing and preaching and teaching and even calling, his, calling disciples, like we looked at last week with the calling of Peter. He's been busy setting people free from all sorts of things, laying his hands on people, drawing people to himself. And word has gotten out about this. Word has gotten out in the region. And you can imagine what the conversations would be like when all of a sudden there's a way to be healed from something that for a long time no one thought you could be healed from. You, you could consider this, couldn't you? Have you heard the chatter lately about vaccines? Have you been in any of those conversations? Just the other day, I was walking home uh, from my son's preschool with some parents, and the conversation took over in this direction, as I think it does almost every conversation I'm in. You know, how, how can you get a vaccine fastest? You can call this pharmacy or uh, go about it this way. Have you gotten yours yet? What was it like? The buzz just takes over. One friend of mine uh, even got his vaccine in an alley behind a pharmacy on a lawn chair. And I told him, I'm not sure that was a vaccine you got, buddy, but <laughs> he went for it anyways. So at any rate, in first century Galilee, the word about Jesus' healing has reached a lot of people. And it's reached a few friends in particular that we hear about in our story. Remember, this is far from our world. This is a time and place where there's no medicine, uh, modern medicine. There's no antibiotics, painkillers, certainly not vaccines. These, all these ideas are as far away as putting a man on the moon in first century Galilee. Physical, physical pain, suffering, disease, these were all a part of daily life, more than our minds can really fathom when we can take Advil and pain is gone. The word about Jesus healing any disease from anyone? This was shocking. And now he's in Capernaum, this little town, and the crowds are coming. They're coming because he's there. And among them, arriving late because of their slower pace, are a few friends. One was being carried on a mat. He was lame. He couldn't walk. And as I've meditated on this story over the past couple weeks, this group of friends has really struck me. What was going on for them? What were their conversations like? We don't know much more about them. But I, can, I like to think about what they were talking about when they heard this news. I like to picture their conversation. Imagine the lame man's name is, I don't know, Lloyd. Have you heard? Jesus is back in town, and he can heal. He's been healing people, lots of people. If we can get you to Jesus, Lloyd, if we can get you to Jesus, there's a chance. There's a chance he'll heal you. There's a chance that you'll have a second chance on life. 
I wonder how Lloyd felt about this. On his mat? Is he nervous? Scared? Tentatively hopeful? What if Jesus didn't, didn't heal him? What if he tried and he couldn't heal him? What if it was a huge embarrassment to him and Jesus? What if the line was too long? What if he was healed and then he woke up the next day and was lame again? What if he got there and Jesus decided he'd sinned too much, so he needed to stay lame? So many what-ifs. But Lloyd concedes to the insistence of his friends. Okay, let's go. And they get to the house, they arrive, and just as Lloyd thought, the crowd, the crowd is so big, there's so many people mobbing the house, trying to get in, peering over shoulders, will never get in, there's no chance, there's too many people who need help, the need is too great, even with my friend's help, I'll be last in line, just like always. But his friends don't take no for an answer, do they? They look at each other and they attempt to do the unthinkable. This may sound crazy, Lloyd, but here's the plan. We've built houses before. We know how they work. We know how to get you to Jesus. Listen, we've brought extra rope because whenever you go out, you always bring extra rope. Everyone knows that. So we'll go up on the roof. We'll dig a hole through the roof and lower you down with the rope right in front of Jesus. Because, Lloyd, we're going to do whatever we can to get you in front of Jesus. Did he protest? Did he fight it? Did he say, no, it's too much, this is crazy, I'm not doing that. Let's just go home and forget this happened. Or was he struck with an even greater fear? But I'm going to look ridiculous. All those people, what will they think of this? I'm a lame, I'm lame, I'm an outcast already. I've been rejected and passed over my whole life. I can't handle all those eyes fixed on me in disbelief and disgust. Well, however willing or not he was, up he went. The hole was dug. The ropes were attached. And slowly, carefully, the man is lowered through the roof and placed on the ground right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, who has the power of the Father on him to heal, Luke tells us, who has the wisdom to perceive the heart of everyone in the room, what was he thinking when he see, looks up and sees the dust start to fall from the roof, a hole open up above him, and a crippled man being lowered through the roof on a mat. And his friends, you can probably see through the hole, peering down, wondering what's going to happen, their eyes fixed on Jesus. I imagine tears forming at the corner of Jesus' eyes. Jesus faced a lot of disappointment and rejection during his ministry, not least just a week or so ago in his hometown when his own people tried to kill him. But in this moment, he was moved. I can see him look at, looking up at those friends on the ceiling, peering through. I can see him looking up and thinking, you guys, you guys get it. You know something about the kingdom of the heavens. You don't know me yet, but you're going to and you get it. You know something about God's love. 
you know that greater love is no one than this than to lay down their life for their friends. Verse 20 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now this line always raises some questions. How does their faith bring about the lame man's forgiveness? How does that work? Shouldn't it be his faith? Isn't he responsible for that? Normally, I respond to that question with an appeal to Jesus' ability to, to perceive the heart that, that is named in his relation to the Pharisees just, just after this in verse 22. And it's true. I think that their faith probably includes the lame man too. But I think there's something else going on here too. Jesus knows the power of God's love in action. He does. And Jesus knows human love that reflects God's love when he sees it. And Jesus knows that the man on the mat has just experienced human love that has given him a taste of God's delight. And I think Jesus is looking at the man on the mat and thinking, man, your friends have just done whatever they can to get you in front of me, to bring you to me. They've been reckless. They've put a hole in the roof. They've lowered you into a vulnerable situation. And they have given you a taste of God's love by their faith. Because they've done whatever they can do to bring you to me. They've shown you that no matter what, no matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else thinks, you matter to them and you matter to God. Have you ever been loved in that way by someone else that says you matter to me and you matter to God? That's bold, maybe a little reckless, but more than anything, determined to bring you in front of Jesus. Determined to tell you in word and, and or deed that you matter, most importantly, to God. Now, it probably doesn't look like being lowered through a hole in the roof, although... I guess it could. When I was 22, I moved for the first time, it happened again later, but for the first time to a place where I knew no one to serve at a, at a church in a little town in Wyoming. And when I moved there, a retired couple at the church, they took me in. They offered me a place to live, and they welcomed me. They introduced me to people. They gave me food. They took care of me. They gave me a home when I didn't have a home there. And over time, they became family for me. When I started dating Deanna, who's my wife now, I didn't ask for their approval, but they gave it. Frank and Judy, is their names, they loved me so selflessly at a time in my life when I needed it. I needed a home. I didn't realize the power of what they'd done for me until much, much later, until years later, until last year, actually. See, sometime after, soon after I moved in, Frank found out he had cancer, he started battling cancer, and he's been fighting it ever since, until last summer I got word that Frank had died of the cancer he'd been fighting for years. And it hit me so hard. So hard, it was so unexpected, and in my grief, in the weight of grief, I realized just how powerful the welcome, the hospitality, the reflection of Jesus that Frank and Judy had shown me 
and this time in my life, how much it reflected God's love. And it changed my life. Their simple act of hospitality, bringing me to Jesus, welcoming me into a church community, changed my life. This is the kind of thing that the guys peering down through the hole in the roof have just done for their friend who's about to not be lame anymore. It's a vulnerable moment. Jesus sees it. All those questions on the lame man's heart, he can perceive them. What will happen now? What will the teacher say? What will he do? Jesus looks at him. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this may sound strange. The man didn't ask for that. He hadn't asked for anything at this point. But the obvious request would be to heal his legs. But Jesus goes further. In the Gospels, forgiveness and healing are interwoven into God's restoration of humanity, of the, of the human person, their body and their soul. Forgiving sins means you're welcomed in. You're not an outcast anymore. You belong to God as a child, and you're going to be with your heavenly dad forever. And in the unseen world, in the unseen reality of what's going on in this moment, it's a beautiful moment of the Trinity working in love. The Father has given the Son the power to heal and restore. The Son is standing there and proclaiming the good news that sins are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is working in the friends on the roof to bring their friend there. The Spirit's working in the lame man to respond in faith. Faith here is simply a basic positive response, a basic response moving towards a visit from God. But the story goes on. Let's read the rest, verses 21 through 26. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, verse 17 has told us the Pharisees and the teachers had come from every village of Galilee, from all over the region, and even from Jerusalem, the big city. And we get a sense that this is a sort of delegation that's sent out from all over the region to check in on this fringe teacher, a delegation of respectable Torah followers coming to see what is all the excitement about this Jesus of Nazareth. And sure enough, here was the moment of blasphemy that they were prepared for. But let's hear them out for a second. At this moment, at this point, why, why should they believe Jesus? Why should they give him the benefit of the doubt for forgiving sins? Because they are right. Only God has authority to forgive sins. So why should they trust Jesus? Well, here's their first mistake, I think. They don't give him a chance. They're looking for trouble. They show up and their ears are tuned for it, and they jump on it immediately. They don't listen long enough. 
The assessment is made far too quickly. This is, this is Jesus. Here he is right away, blaspheming. We know what box to put that in. They're on a witch hunt, and they're going to find their witch no matter what. It feels like they've already had their minds made up even before they show up in Galilee. Assessing Jesus, and this is something for us to hear too, assessing Jesus, or anyone else for that matter, before fully listening, is something many of us are guilty of, isn't it? And it's a dangerous posture to drop someone in that box as being a heretic, as as speaking blasphemy, as being narrow-minded or wrong or on the outside in any other way before hearing them out, before listening. Jesus' brother, James, puts this into words best later on in the New Testament. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And Jesus' response carries that weight, that feel, doesn't it? Why are you so quick to question me, he says? Why don't you just wait a minute and see the power of God on display? Like, give me... Five seconds, okay? Now, during this banter, what's the lame man doing? I think the lame man already knows he's healed. I think he knows it, and I think he feels his legs strengthened. We know he had faith at this point. Jesus has already pinpointed that. And in this moment, he and Jesus were the only ones in the room who knew exactly what was about to happen. There's an unspoken connection between them. They're the only ones in this moment that presses the healing. That says, even deeper, you matter. I got you. Doesn't matter what they think. You know what's going to happen. And Jesus connects to us. He connects to us even today by the power of the same Holy Spirit that was alive in that room in Galilee. He connects with us in these moments of self-doubt, of rejection, of our own sin. He connects to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says the same thing. You matter. You're an outcast. I see it. You matter. You've doubted me all week long. It's been a tough one. Guess what? You matter. You've broken every commandment in the book this past week. And if the right opportunity or the right person would have crossed your path, you probably would have broken a few more. Well, guess what? You matter. Jesus says it to you, to me. And I don't know about you, but this week was a hard one for me. I had some pretty ugly thoughts, some pretty ugly words that I'm not proud of. Jesus looks at us, at you and me. He says, you matter, and then... He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus heals him. He heals him, and then he sends him home. And don't miss the importance of that for an outcast, a lame man, to be sent home. I don't think that's where he came from when he showed up that day. The healing is complete, spiritually Physically, relationally, it's all one. It's all interwoven into God's restoring work of the person he's healed. And immediately, he rose up 
before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they all glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen an extraordinary thing today. The man who is now not lame, the friends on the roof, and even the Pharisees, it seems, they're all struck with awe, all of them. They all end up praising God this day. They all glorify God. They don't know what else to do. They are overwhelmed with praise for the good things God has done. It's overwhelming. Whatever they thought about Jesus coming into the room and whatever they thought about him later on in this moment, they all couldn't help but praising God. So the question comes to us in this story, what will you do? What role in God's story are you playing and will you play? Where do you find yourself hearing this tale? Some of you feel like that lame man on the mat, vulnerable, desperate for healing, weary, tired, maybe lonely. We're all here in some way, yes, but some more than others. And if you are really here today, this week, you feel desperate, you feel like you're not going to make it through another week, please reach out. I would love to talk with you today and pray with you today. Please reach out. And I know it's hard in this COVID world, but please do it. We're here for you, and there's people in this church and community who would love to walk alongside with you through this time and through whatever is going on. Please reach out. There's healing for you in Jesus Christ. But to all of us, and this includes those of you feeling weak, to all of us, there's another invitation. There's a couple guys, maybe girls, on the roof. I don't know, it doesn't say. There's a couple people on the roof who brought their friend there and who loved with all they had and did whatever they could to get their friend in front of Jesus. And you're invited to be that friend who does whatever they can to get someone in your life in front of Jesus who desperately needs his healing touch. To be bold, to be maybe a little reckless, maybe dig a hole through a roof, who knows, but to love in a way that reflects God's love. To love in a way that says to a hurting person, a person in need, that you matter to me and you matter to God. To love in a way that restores credibility to the church of Jesus in our world that doesn't see us with much credibility. For it was Jesus himself who told us that, well, no, you follow me by your love and nothing else. This is the life and witness we're all called to today to be that friend who loves a little recklessly. It's weak, hurting people. Like I said, we're all there. Weak, hurting people, dragging one another. Come on, dragging one another to the feet of Jesus, to his feet, and receiving his blessing, receiving his joy, receiving his life, his healing. Friends, the world will believe we are Christians in no other way only by our love, only by these sorts of acts. So, this is the question for you today. What role will you play in God's story? 
Jesus is here. He's healing. He's inviting you in. What role will you play? Will you pray with me?